Welcome to the snooze button. Hey, I'm Brittany of Brittany She and Sleep. I've got 99 problems, but my kid's sleeping isn't one. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the snooze button. Today's episode has a trigger warning. Um, it's probably gonna be a little bit heavier than most of our episodes, but I will still try to keep it light and not stressful. Um, I am going to be talking about postpartum depression, postpartum psychosis, postpartum anxiety, um, mentions of self-harm, harming a baby. So if any of this is triggering to you, please go ahead and, and skip over this episode. Um, and if I, this goes without saying, if you are listening to this today and anything that I'm saying resonates with you and you're thinking, I didn't realize this was a problem, this is how I feel, please seek help. I'm going to list in the comment section, um, not the comment section, of the, you know, like the show notes here, I will list resources that you can reach out to. And if you like just need any type of support, please reach out to these people and reach out to your doctor. I don't care if it's your pediatrician, your OB, your freaking dentist, talk to a professional and they will be able to point you towards the right resources. Because I do think sometimes when you're struggling with anything, you're just like, I don't even know who to talk to about this. Any any doctor will take you seriously, I sure hope, and will point you to a, a resource that can help. Okay, so the reason I'm talking about postpartum mental health today, um, you guys may have heard, I believe it was last week, there was a really, really horrific, just awful um, situation in Duxbury, Massachusetts, which is a suburb of Boston. And in this case, a mom, I believe her baby was eight months old. Um, and she was a labor and delivery nurse who was on leave. Um, she, we believe, was experiencing postpartum psychosis. I don't know if that has been diagnosed. I think that's been like the speculation. Um, and she took the life of all three of her children and then tried to take her own life unsuccessfully. And I believe she's in police custody in the hospital right now. She had a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and this, um, I believe, eight, seven or eight-month-old baby. Obviously, tragic. Like, that goes without saying. And when I asked you guys the other day what to talk about this week, <clears throat> I didn't have a plan for what I was going to say necessarily. Um, uh, a client of mine brought this up and said, could you talk about that? Could you talk about postpartum mental health? And I thought about it, and I was like a little nervous to address the, you know, the situation. I'm not a doctor, um, but I do work in this professional space, and more people need to talk about it. And I want to be a safe space for all of you guys, and I know that I am for my clients. And um, I decided it was it was the right thing to do. So my other caveats, you know, guys, I I always have to have a bunch of a bunch of caveats. Um, my other caveats are. This is not like some gross marketing ploy to get you to buy my services. Um, sorry, this is my toxic trait. I'm a people pleaser. I feel the need to make sure people know my intentions are pure all the time, which they are. And I don't care if you buy my services. I love my business. I love helping people. And if you want my help, I'm here for you. But what I really want the takeaway from this episode to be is for moms to feel seen and understood and to understand what's normal and what's not, because I think it's confusing. And when I asked you guys yesterday, when I let you know on Instagram, I was going to talk about this and asked for questions, the questions broke my heart. Um, because a lot of them were like, I don't know if I have it or not. Like, can you tell me what's normal and what's not? Like, how do I get out of this fog? And it just made me sad because I think despite how like woke we all are about everything, I don't think we talk about this enough. I think people feel really isolated, really alone. Um, 
And to be totally honest with you guys, protecting obviously the privacy of my clients, and I'm never going to disclose anything personal about anyone to anybody, um, I would say roughly two thirds of my clients like tell me, you know, they disclose that they are battling postpartum anxiety or and or postpartum depression. That's a ton of people. Think about how many people I help and two thirds of them. Um, and those are only the people who disclose it to me. And I do ask in my intakes a lot of questions that help me figure out. Of course, I'm trying to learn about the child's sleep issues and their sleep environment and their home dynamics. But I'm also trying to figure out the mom and the dad and trying to understand, like, who are these people? Where are they coming from? Because that's how I can support them the best. And I explicitly ask if you have PPD or PPA or you think you do. And, you know, what support system do you have in place for yourself? Was Did you have a traumatic birth experience, um, fertility issues? Because there are so many of these things that can play into why a mom would feel the way she does. Um, and I can tell you that so often there are all of these things. Um, so... I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, the difference between what's like normal, what does kind of everyone experience versus what is postpartum depression, what is postpartum anxiety, what is postpartum psychosis, and what are some things we can do before a baby even arrives to help, and what can you do when you're in the midst of it? And again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not saying I'm a doctor. I'm also not technically a therapist, though I feel like I am one. I feel like if I was a con artist, I could fully just lie and say I had a therapy license at this point, but I don't. So those are my caveats for you. I'm just a sleep professional. I'm a mom of three, and I'm very in tune with all of this stuff. Okay, so here's the bottom line. Everyone goes through a huge shift when they have a child. It doesn't matter if it's your first child or your fifth child. It's unavoidable. Your life is changing. There is new human in it. Even if you are thrilled and have zero mental health issues, you're going through it right? Um, Even if it's something as simple as like insane night sweats, you know, in the days you get home from the hospital. Um, You guys know I love Emily Oster and she she said something in crib sheet that always stuck with me. I had to go back and look up the exact quote, um, but I had underlined it because it's like, yeah. Um, She said, before the baby, you're a vessel to be cherished and protected. After the baby, you're a lactation-oriented baby accessory. And you know what? It kind of feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? right? When you're pregnant, everyone's opening doors for you and throwing you showers and asking you if you need anything and telling you to put your feet up. And then once the baby arrives, they come over and they grab the baby. And it's like, kind of your SOL, right? And I think that's not intentional often, but it is the case. And I think we struggle as a society, as a society, excuse me, to understand what women are going through. And I want to tell you guys quickly, I'm going to try not to make this episode super long. Because I know you guys don't like the super long ones. Um, I'm going to tell you quickly about my birth story with Teddy, my oldest. So, and I will say before I get into it, I'm fortunate that of the many issues I have, um, postpartum depression and the like were not an issue for me, but I still had extreme trauma around his birth. So I was induced with Teddy the morning that I turned 36 weeks because I had cholestasis, which is a pretty rare condition that I basically just went to the hospital the day before and was like, my hands and feet are super itchy, isolated to the palms of my hands and the bottom of my feet, nothing else. I was given a blood test. I had cholestasis, which can be very dangerous for a baby if you reach 37 weeks. So they opted to induce me right then. So they actually said to me like, 
he's big. We can tell that he, he's probably about seven pounds already. He's already 36 weeks. Like, he's not even going to go to the NICU. He's going to be fine. They were very reassuring. He came out, and I think I was holding him for maybe three seconds before he was ripped out of my arms. They told me the pediatrician needs to take him to the NICU. Something's wrong. Um, it looks like he's not breathing properly. So everyone who's given birth knows how you feel a few seconds after you've given birth. And it was my first, so everything was new. He was taken away from me. I did not see him. Um, I was taken into some sort of like hybrid NICU. It wasn't the official NICU. They, this was in New York City. There wasn't like an overflow. So he was in this like what felt like a janitor's closet with like two other babies. Um, and as I was, and you know, this is hours after I've given birth that I was finally allowed to go. They like wheeled me in. Oh, and this is after I was in a shared room. So after I was taken out of the recovery room or, you know, the, the labor room, I was brought into a shared room. Um, and the families, so there's just a curtain separating me from another mom. And this mom had her baby with her and she had about 15 relatives. They were clearly, I, I don't know, they, they appeared to be relatives of various ages, but there were literally about 15 people with a screaming baby. And I was alone with this nurse I had just met who was trying to show me how to pump. Um, and I think, you know, in my family, I'm definitely the one who like, between Alex and I, my husband, who like jumps into action and is like, excuse me, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's that's my role. Um, and this was one case where Alex just locked eyes with me and marched over to the nurse's station and was like, we need our own room. We don't even have our baby with us. This woman's baby is screaming. My wife is hysterical. <sighs> so I finally go up to see Teddy about an hour later. And after I've been holding him for a few minutes, they rush us out of the room. They tell us they think his lung has collapsed and they might have to do surgery. They are bringing in a cardiologist. They think something's wrong with his heart. Um, and I'm just in the wheelchair, like a shell of a human, not allowed inside the room while they're doing whatever. They wheel me back up to my new private room. Um, and I sit there for several hours until someone comes upstairs. A, a team of doctors comes upstairs and tells me, sorry, never mind. It was something with the machine in the hybrid whatever NICU um he's okay um you know he's not he's still in the NICU but we, his lung didn't collapse it was something with our machines I'm like are you effing kidding me okay thanks I guess um and he proceeded to stay in the NICU for 10 days and it was really the first time that I got this instinct and I do think it's part of what led me to this job where I was like I know what's right. I, I just have this gut instinct of what needs to happen and nobody is listening to me. And I'm telling you guys this story. I know it's not related to postpartum depression necessarily, but it's just the experience that we all have as moms. In everyone's, everyone's negative experience is different, but everyone has it to a degree. So for me, nine days in, um, Teddy is, they have a feeding tube in his nose to get nutrients. Um, they want me to nurse him, but they're telling me that he's not latching well enough. He's not getting enough from me. Like he's not gaining enough weight when I feed him. So they have to keep this tube in his nose. And I thought, I'm not, again, a doctor, a nurse, anything. I said, if the tube is in his, in his nose and he's getting food that way, he's not going to be hungry enough for me to feed him. And it's going to be hard for him to eat because he has something stuffed up his nose and he's trying to latch with his mouth. So he's never going to do a good job eating and you're just going to keep him here indefinitely if you won't give me a fair shot of trying to feed him without this tube in his nose. And they just ignored me. They were like, you know, pat on the head, new mom, you don't know what you're talking about. You're just emotional, whatever. And it got to a head that I went to the head like nurse in the NICU in tears 
on day nine and was like, I need to talk to the doctor. Like, who is the doctor in charge? This isn't right. Like, I'm never going to get a chance to feed him properly. They won't take the tube out of his nose. And you know what they did? They left me there for about an hour. And then a social worker came over to ask me how I was feeling. And I lost my shit. I said, I'm feeling like no one is listening to me. I'm feeling like no one cares about my opinion about my own child. I feel like people don't take me seriously. And I feel super offended that when I asked to speak to the doctor about a medical issue, I'm sent someone to, again, try to placate me and pat me on the head and tell me that I'm a crazy hormonal new mom. You guys can tell I'm like getting like worked up just remembering it. Um, I don't think I was that aggressive to her because I was such like a shell of a human. But what did happen is after that, I went back up to the nurse and was like, that was really insulting. I asked to talk to the doctor. Don't like throw a social worker at me and, and make me feel like I'm just like crazy. I'm not. And guess what happened? The next day, this wonderful angel nurse who I will never forget listened to me, took the tube out of his nose and let me nurse him for several feeds. Guess who got discharged at the end of that day? That's right, Teddy. Because once the freaking tube was out of his nose, he was eating fine and he was great and we got to take him home. (sighs) Point being, birth is really tough. Postpartum is really tough, whatever you're going through. So let's talk through what's normal. What does everyone experience to some degree? What is PPD? What is PPA? And what is postpartum psychosis, the most extreme? So everyone, everyone has a massive hormonal shift when they give birth. Like that is it. I think it's often referred to as the baby blues. It could be something more like what I experienced in the NICU where I was just like exhausted and confused and scared about my baby's health. And for other people, it can be you know, three days out, you're crying in the shower. Like that first poop after giving birth is really hard. You're like not sure how to feed them. You're just overwhelmed, like trying to take care of like a circumcision thing, for instance, if you have a boy, like there's just stuff. Think about not only the massive hormonal change, but just like the physical pain and trauma that your body is going through. And pretty much everyone to some degree is taking and then weaning off of medication too. If you were, you know, if you had an epidural, if you got you know, any other type like codeine or morphine, like anything you're, you know, besides all the stuff that's happening naturally, you're also dealing with that. And then whether or not you end up nursing or not, your milk is coming in. So like the pain and the stress and just like that new feeling of like having somebody eat off your body, right? There's so much going on and you tend to be emotionally sensitive in some way because of all of this. So that stuff is normal, just general feelings of like, holy shit, general feelings of overwhelm or confusion and obviously exhaustion and things that you can just kind of feel in your body, like the night sweats and whatever. That is normal. Baby blues though, however, if we're strictly talking about kind of like what everyone experiences, that tapers off around two weeks. So it's really something like in the first week of life, you know, you're like crying in the shower and you're really overwhelmed and like you, whatever, right? That's that's what kind of everyone experiences. When we're talking about postpartum depression, which to be clear, about 10 to 15% of women that we know of have. So it's pretty common. It really is common. And I told you guys, granted, my sample set is all people who are struggling with sleep. So they're obviously exhausted. um, But it's about two thirds of the people who come to me. So with PBD, it's kind of like those baby blues I talked about, but they don't get better in two weeks, right? You're two months out and you still feel this way. Um, And I think a couple of ways that you can articulate it is like overwhelming feelings of sadness and guilt 
right? You're just, you're depressed, literally. You're, you're losing interest in things that used to be fun for you. So like, yeah, no shit. Everybody who has a two-month-old is tired, of course. But if it's like when you're able to get the baby down, um, your husband ordered your favorite sushi or like there's that favorite movie that you like, you know, you love rom-coms and he puts it on for you and you're like, I just don't care. I don't want to watch this movie your best friends like I'm gonna fly out from you know Ohio to come visit the baby like I would love to see you and you're like eh, whatever right it's like things that should kind of pull you out of that sadness and guilt that it might be natural when the baby arrived aren't doing it you just and you just don't care I think if you're apathetic you're apathetic towards your baby and I'm not talking about in the first day or two feeling like you know am I not bonding enough like I you know kind of trying to just get to know them I'm talking you know weeks and a month or two later that you're just like, I don't care. I don't care if we go for a walk today. I don't care if I get dressed. I don't care if we get out of bed. I don't care if I change the diaper. You just don't care. And you can't really make decisions. Like somebody's like, do you want to go to lunch? And you're like, eh, I don't know, right? It's just apathy and disinterest. And with postpartum depression, this is usually diagnosed in the first four months of your baby's life. But for some, it can actually start during pregnancy or it could be late onset. It could come a little bit later on. And to be honest, besides, of course, a history of mental health is a factor. So if you previously had struggled with depression, anxiety, things like that, you are absolutely predisposed to having postpartum depression. Um, But also lack of sleep is a huge contributing factor, as is major life trauma, right? Like your mom died two weeks after your baby was born or something, right? Of course, that's like... I almost hesitate to say that's postpartum depression as much as it is a confluence of really difficult things all at once that could cause you to become more depressed, right? Um, but sleep is a huge a huge piece of it. If you're struggling with insomnia, if your baby isn't sleeping well, obviously then you probably aren't sleeping well, and that can be a that is one of the biggest factors contributing to postpartum depression. Um, so postpartum anxiety sometimes coincides with postpartum depression, but often is its own beast in and of itself. So if you're struggling with postpartum anxiety, you might not have that like apathy and like overwhelming sadness necessarily that you feel like a loss of interest in fun things, that type of thing that a depressed mom might have. You are more fixated on terrible things happening to the baby. Like even if you are offered sleep, you're unable to take it, right? Even if the baby's napping, you're like standing over the crib staring at them. You like can't get into bed yourself and just relax. Um, And tending to engage in like obsessive compulsive behaviors around infant safety, being like, of course, everybody is scared of SIDS. How could you not be? But like almost an irrational level of fear, you know, checking their breathing every couple of seconds, constantly checking their temperature, being afraid to leave the house for like weeks or even months on end. You know, and again, this is going beyond... The first, I think a lot of these things, feeling a lot of these things in those first two weeks is pretty normal. Like, I remember not wanting to leave the house with Teddy because I was just like so nervous, new mom. Um, And I remember constantly worrying about that kind of stuff. But it was in the very early weeks, right? If you have a two-month-old and you're still like afraid to leave the house um, or afraid to let anyone else help you, or maybe you're even afraid to take care of the baby, you like can't do it. You need somebody else to do it. Things like that. That is is what's more characterized with postpartum anxiety. Now, postpartum psychosis. This, they believe, affects about one in a thousand women. And this one is very extreme. So, But one in a thousand is still kind of a lot of people, right? Um, and for this women, you know, it can 
come on randomly, but I think most often if you have a history of mental illness, especially bipolar disorder. And in this case, that anxiety and depression, the kind of like guilt and sadness, and I think even more so the anxiety piece, the like fear, whatever, manifests in pretty extreme ways. So having delusions or really strange beliefs, hallucinations, right? Like seeing things that aren't there, hearing voices in your head, paranoia and suspicion. And that is why I think that horrible situation that happened in Duxbury their thinking could be postpartum psychosis because in those very extreme cases, in kind of the the 1% of that 1%, it can lead to death. Like it is, it's literally like your body and brain is taken over by someone else and you're literally psychotic. Like you're seeing things that don't exist. You are, and sometimes it can almost come out as like religious, you know, like your a voice is telling you that you must do something awful. So it goes without saying again, if you think there's even a tiny chance you could be experiencing that, please talk to a professional. Go into the show notes right now and look at the the resources that I've laid out. Please talk to someone. Um, but let's, you know, without jumping into the like most extreme, like we need to do something in the next two minutes conversation, let's talk about what we can do about this. Um, first of all, if you have a history of mental health issues, I would talk to your doctor now if you've already had the baby and if you're pregnant, talk to them before the baby arrives about like what the chances are of this affecting you, what can you have in place, Um, because there's definitely some non-medical intervention things you can do to help. Um, And then if you are taking antidepressants, like the prevailing knowledge now is that the majority of them, again, I'm not a doctor, I'm sure there's some that you can't take, but many antidepressants I believe are safe for women even if you're nursing um, after you give birth. So Obviously, medication is an option, but other things as well that you can be doing to be prepared for it. And then I think this is the case with any mom, regardless of your mental health history. Try to have a plan for when the baby arrives about what kind of help and support you want and then be willing to change it. Because for some moms, I think the more people, stuff, whatever in place to support them, the better. And some just want their own space. But have a plan like if you think you're going to be the type that is going to want your mom there when the baby arrives and to like stay with you for two weeks, put that plan in place, but then also tell her, I think this is what I'm going to want, but I reserve the right once the baby arrives to feel differently. And like, can you support me in that? Because I do think that, you know, I made a joke to someone recently, like the best parents are the ones who don't have kids, (laughs) you know, but I think it's easy to say like, I'm going to be da 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 da. And then the baby arrives and everything changes. Like sometimes what you thought you need is what you need. But I think oftentimes it's not. So having that conversation ahead of time, like what is our plan? And then if I decide I need something different, like giving yourself permission to change your mind. And I would really truly create what I call like a new mom budget. And set aside some money. And if the baby's already here, find the space in your budget now to support you as a new mom. And that could mean a million things. It could be getting a therapist if you don't already have one. It could be getting a night nurse or a doula, someone to kind of help with the sleep in the first week or two, um, someone to help support you. It could be a meal service. Because honestly, if you are feeling really out of sorts, depressed, anxious, whatever, like making yourself lunch might feel really hard. So like give yourself permission to use DoorDash or a service that like, I know there are services out there that like provide nourishing meals for new moms, a mommy and me class, right? That could be something you put in the budget, just a way for you to get out of the house and connect with other moms. Like human connection 
in these early weeks and months when you're feeling really alone and like no one else feels this way is so important. You need to talk to other people who are like, no, yeah, I'm so tired. I got into the shower with my clothes on this morning. Like you're not crazy. We are all feeling this and you can support each other. And I mean, I'd be remiss without saying uh, sleep help, right? I have a newborn course. I'm not the only person in the world who has one. Again, I'm very careful about not using a serious topic to feel like I'm pushing my particular brand on anyone. But figure out what you're going to do about sleep. Because I'll tell you for sure, once your baby's sleeping better, your life changes. That is for sure. So that's a great thing to have a budget for in whatever capacity works for you. And ask for help when you can. Don't suffer alone and assume that what you're experiencing is normal. It might be, but it might not be. And I would think through, if you're feeling any of these things now and you're like, I don't know who to turn to, think about someone in your life. Because I, I'm i careful to say that sometimes I don't think it's your partner. I think there are, I think it's really hard for men, if your partner is a man, I think it's hard for men to understand this experience. And I think they want to support, I hope for the most part. But it may actually be like a good first step to talk to another woman. And that could be your best friend. It could be your mother-in-law. It could be your neighbor. But someone who maybe understands the experience a bit. Because even if they didn't have postpartum depression or whatever, like if someone came to me, even before I had this job, I would take it very seriously because I know what it's like to give birth And I know like how difficult it can be and how unique the experience is for each woman. And that's not to say that dad isn't the right person, right? Or or your your partner in birth. Um, But whoever the person is, talk to them about it. They need to know what you're experiencing before they can help you. And if you don't have someone in your life that you trust, that you can tell, that's when you call those resources. That's really, really important. And get sleep any way that you can right? Anyway, like sleep. Yes, I know that you're not supposed to say sleep when the baby sleeps, but like if your baby's barely sleeping, then you need to fucking sleep when the baby sleeps. I'm sorry, you do, right? That's important. Um, And please understand that figuring out a way for you and your baby to sleep better is the best thing you can do for both of you. Whatever your sort of like philosophy is on sleep, oh, I don't like crying. I don't blah, 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 blah. Fine. But if you're not sleeping well and you're depressed, it is not helping your baby. You're not doing your baby any favors by never letting them cry for two seconds because you don't philosophically believe in it. And that leads you into a spiral of postpartum depression. I'm not saying these things are always correlated. I'm careful to say that too. I'm not trying to scare you into saying, if you don't sleep train, you're, you know, you're, you're going to be depressed. That's insane. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying it's a major contributing factor. It is a lack of sleep. Um, so, I wanted to get to a couple of the questions quickly because there were a ton and a lot of them were asking me to explain the difference between these things, which I've done or, you know, kind of how to get out of it, which I think we've talked through a little bit. So I'm going to talk through some of the other ones here. So Katie asked, thank you for talking about this. Looking back at my first few weeks, I don't think my partner understood what I was going through and he was dealing with the aftermath of the traumatic birth as well. I guess I'd like to know how to better communicate my needs to my partner next time and what to do if both of us are stressed and recovering from a traumatic birth. Thank you again. You are welcome, Katie. I hope this is going to be helpful. So it's kind of like what I said earlier. I think it's always good to make a plan, especially if you, you know, because I was in a similar boat to you, Katie, where I'd had some trauma with my first. And so when I was pregnant with my second, I was very focused on a plan for that. So our plan was if something happened and I 
you know, was in the hospital, whatever, my husband's mom was going to come because my mom could be there when I got home from the hospital. But I wanted my husband's mom there when it was just him, right? Like to be with his mom. And whatever, I had other things I planned as well. But I think having a plan for what you're going to do, like if everything's perfect, what do we want that to look like in the first few weeks? And if everything is not perfect and it's like what we experienced before, how can we set ourselves up? And that also might entail working with like a couples therapist or just a therapist for yourself and processing that trauma and thinking through when you do get pregnant again, because I think the assumption here is you guys are trying for another, um, what is that going to look like? Like what support do you need to have in place? Because maybe having a therapist during your pregnancy would be super helpful because in my experience personally, after having a really traumatic birth, especially one where they're like, oh my God, we have to induce you right now or else something bad could happen. Um, being pregnant again is pretty freaking scary um, because you have that in the back of your mind. Like, what if that happens to me again? How will I know? What do I need to get tests for? So for me, one of the things that was really important because I'd moved from New York to LA was finding an OB that I really connected with, that I felt like understood me, was kind to me. And I definitely got that from, you know, I, I, I searched a little bit. I asked friends. Um, I did some research before I picked both the hospital, the practice, and the specific OB that I would work with because you need people in your corner when you're going through this stuff. Um, I'm getting long-winded. That was not actually what your question was. In terms of talking to your partner about it, um, I think we as women, especially when we're talking about a partner who's a guy, we sort of assume that they know what we're thinking um, and they don't like ever. So be really, really open and articulate. Don't just say like, I'm having a hard time. You're not being supportive. Say things like, I keep waking up every hour thinking something's wrong with the baby and I don't know how to stop making that happen. I'm really struggling to bond with him. I feel like because I didn't get to be with him in the first week of life that we've lost all this time and it's making me feel like a deep amount of sadness and I don't know how to get past that. Tell him exactly what you're feeling and if you know what you want, ask for that too. If you don't know, you could say, I'm feeling these things and I don't know how to get out of it. I need help. Can you help me like find someone we can talk to or a way for us to get past this? But if you do know what you want, tell him. Say, I'm overwhelmed with the baby and I need a break every day. I need at least an hour, but I, I don't have to be with the baby because it's too hard for me. Like what I, I don't care like how you do it, but I need you to be with the baby for an hour. I need you to find someone. I don't have the energy to find someone in our family to watch him. Can you help me do that? Like be really clear. And I also think for all of us, trying to educate our partners about the birth experience and the new parent experience is really important. And whether this means you take a class at your local hospital, you read a book that's like preparing dads, or even you just have them read something like Crib Sheet by Emily Oster, like have have the dads start to kind of like understand what you're going to be going through will help too, because I think they just don't know. And they're not the ones reading all the books and listening to all the podcasts and have them listen to this. I mean, seriously, send this to every, all of you send this to your husband, boyfriend, partner, birth, whatever, send it to them so they can understand how common this stuff is and what, uh, you know, all of it. Um, Okay. I'm just rambling today. Very heated about this topic. Katie said, I have postpartum anxiety. How do I keep calm and drown out all the outside noise. Also, any advice you have on maternal sleep? Um, I'm going to answer these to her, Katie's question and Merritt's question together because they're similar. Merritt said, 
how do I politely or not so politely tell people to stop giving me unsolicited advice without having them say, oh, you're hormonal. Yeah, I hear you, girl. Um, Well, you are hormonal if you just had a baby. Um, They shouldn't be saying it, but absolutely that's the case. So I'm going to talk about both of these things, about advice, about the outside noise. First of all, delete Facebook and block, and maybe delete Instagram too, but block any accounts that are triggering you. I remember this happening when I was pregnant where I would go on Facebook more for like professional stuff and something would pop up in my news feed from like some mommy group being like, I won't even tell you what the things were, but they were extremely triggering about, you know, infant loss and, things. and I, and it would, I would, it would send me into a spiral. I remember sitting outside with Alex, like in our alley with the kids when I was pregnant with Delaney being like telling him about one of these posts. And I was like, I can't get it out of my head. Like I didn't, I was not seeking this stuff out. And he was like, you have got like, just, I don't care if you have professional stuff on Facebook, like don't go on. Like, and it's true. I would delete and block anything that's not serving you. Anything that gives you an ick feeling, get it out of there. You do not, you're not obligated to listen to anyone's advice or to read things that are hard for you and that don't serve you. I would think about how people make you feel. I don't care if it's your best friend in the world. If your best friend in the world makes you feel anxious or is giving you advice that you don't want and is making you overthink about things that you hadn't even thought about before, this is your baby and your life and you need to protect that space. You need to protect your mental health for your sake and for your baby's sake. So I would politely tell people things like, I'm so glad you want to come visit us. Right now, we're having some alone time. I mean, use freaking COVID as an excuse. I don't care. So you can't have guests because you're afraid of COVID three years later. Whatever. Do do whatever you need to do to protect your energy and protect your space. And then think through if there are people who do lift you up and whose support and advice you really trust and stick with that. And it's okay to say to somebody if they're in the middle of some crazy tangent that is making you anxious to say, you know what, I totally appreciate that this stuff has worked for you. But right now, I just have too many things in my head, like too much advice. And frankly, can we just talk about, you know, Sarah's crazy outfit the other day? Because that was so funny. And she was such a riot. And I just I want to talk about that. I really don't want to talk about bed sharing and SIDS right now or whatever, like whatever the like crazy thing is you're hearing. I think that's really, really important. I think in a lot of ways, becoming a mom, and it's true, Mostly with the first, but even if you have subsequent kids, it's the first time in your life that you, I I think you become like such an advocate for you and for another person. Um, Because if you're not, people will walk all over you, right? You guys heard what happened to me in the NICU with Teddy. Like it was the first time that I was like, whoa, wait, every doctor and nurse and whatever isn't actually like the Lord Jesus Christ. And like sometimes they're wrong and sometimes they're not paying attention and sometimes they don't care. And I have to stand up for myself. I mean, don't get me started on like, women of color and how they're treated in the hospital, because I could really go off about that. But even me, myself, the difference in the way I was treated as a first-time mom and as a third-time mom was shocking. You guys, shocking. I literally went into the hospital with Delaney and I was like, I'm pretty sure I have cholestasis. I've had it before. You're going to induce me today. I'm 38 weeks. She's big enough. Like, this is what I want. Da-da-da-da-da. Like, can we start the Pitocin now? I I literally told them what to do and they were like, okay. Um, Whereas with Teddy, it was like constant, you know, platitudes and dismissive and and I don't think it was because of the hospital. Um, 
you know, being like one being better than the other or anything like that. I delivered Baker at the same hospital as Delaney. Um, they were pretty dismissive of me with Teddy as well. Like when I went in at 33 weeks and said something's wrong, I think I'm about to have the baby. Something's wrong. You need to do something. And they were like, you're fine. Go home. Guess whose water broke six hours later? Mine. And they were like, oh, my God, you're back. And I wanted to be like, oh, my God, F you. I told you something was wrong. And you literally just told me to go home. (sighs) Anyway, this is the time that you have to be an advocate. And you know what? It's really, really, really freaking hard to advocate for yourself and your baby when you are in the mental space that you are in the process of giving birth or having recently give birth. So that's why I think those plans are so helpful. Tell your husband or your wife, tell your mom, your best friend, whoever's going to be with you and supporting you. I might lose it in the delivery room. I might lose it two weeks later. I need you to have my back. Like, here's what I'm worried about happening. Here's what could happen. If you, if I get this look in my eye, if I say X, Y, Z, I need you to jump into action, right? It's all about having that support system. Um, okay. My last question I will answer before this gets really long-winded Sarah said, why do we get postpartum insomnia? Is this a thing? Because I had it bad with my first. Sarah, it is very much a thing. Um, Once you give birth, your levels of estrogen and progesterone drop like fast, like very fast. And those are things, those are hormones, I should say, that influence your circadian rhythm. So it is really natural to feel like sleepy at the wrong times and to struggle to fall asleep. And then you couple that with I would guess that a lot of women who are struggling with postpartum insomnia have some degree of postpartum anxiety because that's very correlated, like, you know, struggling, whatever. It it makes sense that those would come together. So other thing I would consider is restless leg syndrome. That can cause insomnia. I personally had that with Delaney and it was awful in my pregnancy. I didn't have it after she was born, Um, but I would literally be up. I didn't even like attempt to go to bed until at least 3 or 4 a.m. I would just stay awake downstairs. I read like 15 books when I was pregnant with her. I would eat these sugar-free popsicles that now if I see them in the grocery store make me want to vom. I would eat like five of them and then I would just read books and sometimes watch TV until like 4 in the morning, 3 or 4 in the morning. So yeah, it's real. Um, you can get past it. Guess what a lot of doctors actually recommend? This is going to be, you guys are going to be rolling your eyes. A schedule. Yes, they say if you have a baby and you're struggling with postpartum insomnia, you should be on a schedule. Guess what? That's what I do. I give you schedules. Um, and maybe a schedule isn't for you, but I would I would check with RLS being a thing. Um, and know that it does get better. Once your baby's sleeping better, it's normal for a lot of moms. I I found this myself as a mom, and I have clients say it all the time, like, the baby slept through the night, but I was still up every hour. Once your body, like, adjusts to, like, it doesn't need to wake up constantly anymore, that will stop happening. But if you're experiencing things like um, waking up in a cold sweat thinking you rolled on top of the baby, even though they've never been in your bed, or you wake up hearing a baby crying and the baby's fast asleep next to you, those are really normal. I had those all the time. I know so many moms do, and, like, no one talks about it, but... So many of us experience that. That does go away. Once once your baby is sleeping well, you can expect that to slowly dissipate a bit. Um, okay. That's all I have to say <laughs> for now. Um, I hope this was informative, helpful, gives you guys some sense of like what's normal versus what's not and what needs to be addressed. Again, in the show notes, there are resources for you. Please seek the help that you need. Um, and if you need help with sleep, I'm here. And... 
no matter what, you're a great mom. Your baby or toddler child is lucky to have you. And it is all up. I shouldn't say it's all uphill. It's all up from here. Yeah, it's it's all good things from here. All right. I will see you guys next week. Have a great, great rest of your week. Loving the snooze button? Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And please leave a review. I will read it and internalize it. So make sure it's very glowing. If you're interested in working with me or learning more about my courses, head to britneysheehan.com or follow me on Instagram at britneysheehansleep.